This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to the Human Animal Connection Show, where we believe we can communicate with all animals. Join us as we explore the 33 principles and healing methods of the human animal connection. As animal lovers, we know that you share our commitment to making the world a kinder place for all creatures. Together, let's embrace the transformative healing power of the human animal connection. All right. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Human Animal Connection Show. I'm your host, Michael Overly, and I'm with Jeannie Joseph, and we have some pretty cool stuff to talk about today. Jeannie? Yeah, we do. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Today, we're talking about an important subject, and that is healing from trauma. And animals can have trauma just like people. I mean, we're animals. We have trauma, and we have trauma it's much worse for us because we can think about it and regurgitate it in our brain over and over. But animals have trauma also. And this is important for people to understand that it can be so. And perhaps you've uh, rescued or adopted an animal that has had been, had some adversity come from a traumatic experience. And you may or may not have recognized that when you adopted and then you get home and you find out, oh boy, you know, some issues here. And so we really want to help those people because we don't want that animal to have to go back to shelter uh, because, you know, it's not good for animals to go back to shelter. So, we really want to help people understand, A, that animals can have trauma, but much more importantly, that we can help them heal from trauma. And what I've seen with animals has been so inspiring to see animals that have come from just horrific circumstances and to see them come around and transform, and in some cases, to become like the best therapy animals that I've worked with. Because just like with people, sometimes people who've had trauma can really be the best equipped to help other people who've had trauma. Not always, but I, I would say that most of my best therapy animals were the ones that had come from adversity and overcome it. And I think people can sense that. They can sense that, you know, like with Oscar, remember my first dog, you know, that I, when I worked with soldiers and he had been through a terrible situation, won't go through the whole story, but it was horrible. And, you know, when I was working with soldiers, they could see literally the scars on his body and missing teeth and the sad look in his eyes, but he was just the sweetest, the sweetest, most loving dog. And he could sense who in the group really needed the attention right then, right now. And the ability to sense that, you know, to recognize in another species that they might be suffering is an incredible thing that therapy animals who have been through adversity and come out can often do. It's just incredibly inspiring. Yeah. I remember um, my last dog, Darby, mm -hmm. um, he'd been, you know, um, in a dog fighting situation, yeah. bounced through a, a number of shelters and um, I adopted him. And I remember the first time that I got undressed and he was close, I was just pulling my belt out just to get undressed and mm -hmm. he bolted. Oh, yeah. Right. And yeah. I, right, it yeah. just, just kind of knocked me, knocked me flat. I was like, oh, yeah. so somebody was smacking him with a belt too, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, but he turned out to be the most amazing dog. That's one who gave me my healing after yeah. my brother died. Yeah. And um, my buddy Mike called him the baby love dog. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> and he uh -huh. was this little pit bull mix, right? Uh -huh. um, yeah, it was fantastic. But th they're so resilient. They're, yeah. they're absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, they really are. Yeah, pit bulls are, are some of the most resilient dogs. They, you know, I've seen pit bulls come through terrible things and just become the most awesome dogs. Pit bulls originally were 
called nanny dogs because they were very protective and safe and gentle and you could trust them to watch your children and they would always you know watch little kids and everything so yeah it's only when humans put them in situations like where they're forced to fight or something that things go haywire yeah yeah, yeah. people don't know they were bred to protect family members all right so we we're talking about um different dogs we we both had and those experiences um and how the, how they're resilient but how do we how can we actively help a dog who's experienced trauma well the first thing to do is just recognize it and some of these like i was working uh with a dog by zoom the other day and uh this is a rescue dog and been through some adversity and the dog was having potty accidents in the house this was newly you know the dog had only been with them a couple of months but they were having you know pretty much daily accidents even after walking and going and um there were two dogs in the house and uh when i worked with the dog and you know i've heard this before i think you've heard me tell the story about a different dog but in this case the new dog didn't feel safe in her body and didn't feel you know it was it was out of a lack of feeling safety and it was really that was the main issue really she just didn't feel safe and so we worked with her and i gave them some techniques that we use in the human animal connection to help the dog feel safe and i said you know call me back in a couple of weeks after you've been trying these and they wrote back and said yeah we've had just i think there were just two accidents where they were having daily accidents that was over three weeks and there was only two and that was because of the thunderstorm so um you know i helped them understand that the dog wasn't being bad. The dog was actually feeling sad about these accidents, but um, couldn't help herself. And um, it was a really sweet basset hound named Mabel, you know, and they love Mabel, but they were really at their wits end with these daily accidents. And so they've been working. It's been about three weeks. And like I said, only I think two accidents in the whole time. So they're feeling more hopeful and they're feeling more calm and Mabel's feeling more calm because I gave them some techniques to help them. We have all these soothing techniques that we do and uh, we work with their, um, we work with some tapping on their uh, acupuncture meridian points. There's a place on the chest that we tap and very gently. And that's one of the things that we do. So we have a number of different techniques that we use. I am, uh, I practice something called the trust technique. I'm a certified trust technique practitioner. And so we help them to learn some of those techniques so that they can use them uh, on their own. And what you want to do is you, help the dog to experience a sense of safety back in their body so that they can trust their bodies and then they can have a little more control over their own nervous systems so that that's you know we have 33 principles in our book the human animal connection we go through all of this so each one of them apply to these situations so our whole work is really about helping animals to feel safe, including human animals to feel safe. Because there's a lot of people who walk around not feeling safe. They just, just, and it's not even about what's happening right now. It could be, you know, stuff that happened 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, you know, and it's still operating. It's still running in the background. And so the trust technique really helps people get down to the most basic level of where in the nervous system is that distrust hanging out. And we replace that with a sense of peace, or we introduce the unsafeness to a sense of safeness. And eventually that feels so delicious, the nervous system says, I think I like safeness better. 
I think I'm going to start running this pattern. <laughs> and this is the same with dogs. They have to actually relearn if they've been traumatized. You know, we're not just talking about just having one scary little thing, but if they've been really traumatized and they're really stuck in that pattern, then we actually have to show them how to retrain their nervous system. Once they learn it, they get it very quickly and they can learn to do some self-soothing. What are the different resources that wild animals have that our domestic partners may not? So one of the things that wild animals have is the ability to choose. So they have the ability to, you know, choose to stay or to go, to explore or not explore. And they have that fundamental freedom or sense of power that they can get away. And that is a, a, an extremely important element resource in resilience and in feeling powerful and in not feeling traumatized. Because one of the things that happens in trauma is that we feel powerless. We lose our sense of hope or faith or trust that we can do anything to help ourselves. You know, that we are basically, that's the victim formula, right? So, um, animals, number one, have a choice of of being moving away. They also have the ability to choose whether to be still. You'll see some animals will get very still in the face of, of like a little wild rabbit outside my window right now is being very, very still because I looked at him. <laughs> and so he's going to get real still for a second to just be like, make himself small. And then when I look away, he'll probably run off again. So the choice of movement or stillness is one of the big choices that they have. And one of the things that they do, if you look at an animal in nature, who's a, a prey animal who's been chased, once they get to a safe place, often what they'll do is they'll shake it out. They'll just do a quick little shake. I mean, they don't shake continuously. It's just a shush, like a little one, two, three, like, like a dog shaking off water after the bathtub. And what that does, it's brilliant. It shakes off the cascade of stress chemistry that's in their bodies. And this is something that we humans could really benefit from is rec recognizing that when we get the stress chemistry like adrenaline and cortisol, we need to shake it out. We need to move it out. We need to help it because it's otherwise it can get stuck. So that's a very brilliant thing to do is shake. And they also can, you know, often animals will know what kind of herbs or things they need to eat or what they need to not eat to help. You know, they will, they will seek out the the plants that have medicinal properties that they need in the time. So those are just some of the examples, you know, that they have. And the most important one is to be able to get away. And a dog that's been traumatized by, let's say, thunder, for example, doesn't understand the source of the thunder, doesn't know how to get away, doesn't feel like they can do anything to stop it. And that is very debilitating because it puts them into the victim mode and it it can be very difficult to break that pattern. You know, once they've established that, we're talking phobia now, not just normal little fear. You know, every, any dog's going to startle with a loud noise, but a healthy dog, and this is one of the things we do in the therapy test, we'll, we'll make a loud noise like drop a bowl on the floor or something behind them or a clipboard, and it's startling. The dog can turn and look, but we want to make sure that the dog can resettle, go, oh, it's nothing, right? And they then they go back to being just their happy self. But a traumatized animal... Um, who gets startled like that will take a longer time to recover. They'll start cowering or they'll start, you know, doing different things and indicate that they're still in the mode of that. What's that terrible clipboard going to eat me? You know, they, it's still scary for them. So, yeah, that's one of the things that we look at in a dog to make sure that they're going to be good in a therapy environment is to make sure that they, can can recover from a startle quickly. And you'll see the same thing in humans. Like we can get startled, but we reckon to, oh, it was just a, a car backfiring or something, or you know, we we can we can resolve it in, in in a short period of time. But when we're traumatized, that thing happens and then it triggers all the cycle of all the other memories and so on. And now we're in a loop. 
And so we have to break that loop. And it's the same thing with the animals. And one of the ways that we do it with animals is we get them using their nose. So I have a theory that animals who are traumatized are like in a shelter environment, and we love shelters because they save many dogs, but it's not a good place for animals. And one of the reasons why it's not a good place is they're getting overstimulated. There are too many sights, there are too many sounds, there are too many smells, and the animal doesn't have the freedom to explore it or to get away from it. So they can't go towards it to discover it. Like with the clipboard, the, we drop a clipboard on the dog, the dog turns and looks or turns and sniffs, and they go, oh, it's nothing, and they're right back to being happy. But in the shelter environment, they can't go sniff that, or they can't go look at that, or hear that, or touch it, or identify it, and they can't get away from it. And so that puts them in a very high-stress state. And one of the things I do when I'm working with shelter dogs is I get them back into using they're putting their nose first. And there's a whole process that I do. You can read some of my blogs and you can see it's a very slow, methodical process of working at the animal's pace. I'm watching very carefully to see what is the animal ready for. So, for example, when I go into a kennel to work with a shy, traumatized dog, I'm not going to touch him. I'm not even going to look at him. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm just going to sit as far as I can sit, which in some cases might be a foot, you know, because this tiny kennel. I'm going to sit as, at the farthest point, whatever that is. And I'm going to be very, very still and I'm not going to talk until the dog gives me a signal from their behavior that they're ready for the next point of contact. And uh, the, you know, one of the things I'm going to do is offer up a stinky treat and I'm not going to necessarily put it in my hand. I might drop it on the floor near them, near their nose, uh, where they have to make a maybe move an inch to get that treat, you know, and, and I keep, and then closer, closer till they're ready to take it out of my hand. So I'm working at the animal's pace. I don't have a set agenda for how fast it's going to go or how many steps I need to take with a very, very shy dog. It, it could take, you know, an hour before a dog is ready to have contact, you know, or in some cases, several visits before. But eventually, I, all the dogs I've worked with, I've gotten to the point where they went from that state, what we call pancake dogs, meaning they're just flat on the floor, they won't take treats, they can't look at you, they can't be touched, to the point where they're cuddly and taking treats out of your hand and seeking and wanting good contact. So it's a process that we do. It's very methodical, and you can read about it in my book, The Human-Animal Connection describes all these details. Yeah. An really, really important point that keeps coming up for me in what you just described was going at the animal's pace. That is so important. As humans, we force, we push, I'm going to make this thing happen, me, mighty right. man, right? And yeah. I, I'm guilty of this myself. We all are. And, um, and I've, I've related how Indigo has told me, uh, you need to back off. You're not, right. you're not respecting me. Oh, geez. Um, so understanding yeah. that we can't force things to happen just because we want them to is right. really important, folks. So it's listen so to important. Your, listen to, pay attention to, notice what your animal is doing because they will guide you. They will let you know. Yeah. And and it's the same thing with pace and distance. So our idea, like if we want to go, like the, I told you about working with the kids, you know, we were working with the kids with some neurological issues and they had no concept. They wanted to touch the dog. They just had to be on top of the dog. So that was their version of loving, you know, it was good intentions, but it's not necessarily the dog's version of good time, right? So of course, these are trained therapy dogs. So they're very tolerant. They can handle it up to a point. And then we have to recognize, okay, it's too much. We have to have the kids back off. But Distance is really important and distance is what's right. We have a saying in the human animal connection. There's a perfect distance for every interaction. 
meaning there isn't one set distance, but every interaction has this perfect distance. And you'll see this. There are some cultures, for example, where people get very close. They're used to being very close in line. If you've ever been to Japan, you know, it, it, they don't mind being touching you in, in a line. That's how close they get because they're very compact, right? Other cultures, man, you need to be three feet away from me or I'm going to punch you. <laughs> you, know? you know, the nervous system gets very triggered if you get too close. So we humans being animals have the same thing. But what we teach our students in the human animal connection is to pay attention. There's a perfect distance for every interaction. And working with shelter dogs, you really get to see this because you see the level of fear they're at by how, you know, some animals need a lot of distance in the beginning and some animals want no distance. They're just all over you like Velcro. So you just have to pay attention to what's the perfect distance for every animal. Let's do a quick story. Oh, quick story. Okay. <laughs> what, was the, what was the story I was going to tell you about? Um, Oh, the donkey and the donkey Sophie. story. Oh, that's a great story. Okay, so there was this donkey named Charlotte, and she was an older rescue donkey. And my wonderful friend Afton, who has a wonderful sanctuary for horses that are just on their way to the glue factory and can't be ridden and all this stuff. So he has a couple of donkeys, and he had this older donkey named Charlotte, and she was getting picked on by the other donkeys, and she wasn't getting her fair share of the hay, and she was losing weight. It was not good, right? <laughs> and so he said, "Well, I'm gonna." I'm going to send her to another sanctuary. And he was going to send her to the sanctuary that had only horses. They didn't have any other donkeys. And, you know, donkeys like to be around other donkeys. That's something that they, is important to them. And so, um, but, you know, I would have to be there that day. And we were loading, uh, going to load Charlotte into the trailer, which she had done before. She wasn't afraid of the trailer, but she was just not having it at all. She was like starting to bolt, right? She was running. And I said, wait a minute, I'm an animal communicator. Why don't I ask her what she wants, right? <laughs> and fortunately, Afton, he's an old cowboy type, but he he trusted me. And he said, all right, talk to her, ask her. And so I asked Charlotte, I said, you know, what do you want here? And she said, I don't want to go but I want to be on the other side of the fence, the donkeys. I want to stay with my llama friend, Cusco, name of the llama that she liked, but I want to be able to be on the other side of the fence so I can see the other donkeys. And so Afton fortunately trusted me and he put her on the other side of the fence so she could see the other donkeys, but she was with Cusco, the llama friend that she really trusted and she could eat her hay in peace. And the other donkeys were there and they didn't bother her anymore because they had a thing, you know, sometimes they'll try to root out the weakness in the herd and she was older. And, but what was interesting was that she became Afton's best reading donkey. So the, so the children would sit down in the reading chair and she would just walk over and as they opened the book, she would lean over their shoulder and just sit there and do the reading thing, looking at the child when they looked at her, look back at the book. You know, she just became this perfect reading donkey and the kids just absolutely loved her. And they were like, can I come back every day? I have to finish the story. Charlotte wants to hear how it ends, you know? <laughs> and so it's just a wonderful story of, of, listening and recognizing here's this donkey that has this incredible gift because most donkeys aren't going to do that <laughs> but you know this was her purpose in life was to do this all right i love that yay thank you all right let's take a quick break folks hey friends if you like what you're hearing and want to learn more check out dr joseph's book the human animal connection deepening relationships with animals and ourselves or visit the website, thehumananimalconnection.org, to book an online consultation. Thank you for loving animals. Now back to the show. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. All 
Hi, folks. Welcome back. Um, we've got another story. Yeah. And it, it, <laughs> so it many stories. Cherry. I love cherries. Tell me about Cherry. Cherry is actually a boy dog, and he is a pit bull. And if you heard the story about um, uh, Michael Vick, the the fighting dog guy, you know, that had all mm-hmm. these fighting dogs. Cherry was one of the dogs, bait dog in the fighting ring. So very scared. He was what we call a pancake dog, meaning he would just in the kennel, he would just laid close to the ground, tried to become invisible almost, you know. And um, there's a movie called The Champions, uh, more forgiving of our species than we could ever be. It's a wonderful documentary. I highly recommend it. I think you can get it on Netflix. But anyway, it's a wonderful story about Cherry, who, you know, she was at Best Friends, um, which is a wonderful animal sanctuary, and they they helped her to long process of healing and she was adopted by a wonderful family and had a doggy playmate and she just became this loving sweet little confident little adorable little doggy you know still kind of a tender little thing but you know sweet and wonderful perfect family dog and i got to meet her at this uh, premiere of the film in new york city and it was amazing to just see this dog surrounded by just a horde of people who were just amazed because they knew the story. They had seen Cherry go through this beautiful transformation and now this wonderful life with this family, uh, just perfectly happy. And it's so amazing to see a dog can go from really, uh, in it, some shelters would have euthanized this dog, not best friends, but some would have because it would she would have had no chance at, at a life. But with healing, with time, and with you know love and all these good methods and and companionship from another dog, the other dog helped her heal too. She transformed 180 degrees from a traumatized dog to a completely loving family dog who could be an ambassador for healing and could go to these film events and be surrounded by a mob of people. It was like, you know, a movie star. We all wanted to, you know, see her and give her a treat and all this other stuff. And she's just like, yeah, okay, who's next? Okay. You know, (laughs) she could work the red carpet. (laughs) It was great to see. She really inspires me. He, I mean, (laughs) I know the name Cherry sounds like a sheep, but it's with he. (laughs) Uh, That's beautiful. Beautiful story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That goes right into our next subject is neuroplasticity. Yes. Right. So tell me about that. So neuroplasticity is the idea that the brain can change at any age, that it has the capacity to change, to grow and to heal. And that's a relatively modern understanding. You know, we used to think the brain stops growing when you're 25 or something like this, you know. So uh, we no longer think that. Um, Of course, you know, for example, a child can learn languages 100 times faster than an adult, but still an adult can learn language. It's just not going to be as fast as the way a child can learn. So, But the moral of the story is that that there is tremendous neuroplasticity, and that is the hope for people who've had trauma, who have PTSD, who are, you know, feel trapped by their experiences. It is possible to heal, and when we see it in animals, then... Um, it inspires. And we take these dogs to work at the VA and we tell the story, you know, like Sophia, you know, was a feral dog and she used to scare grown men, you know, my little 25 pound little white chihuahua. And now she's a wonderful therapy dog. You know, she's sweet and loving. Nobody believes me when I tell them these stories (laughs) about how she, I used to have her strapped to my waist when anyone came to the house because she was just there. There we go. (laughs) She's showing you. (laughs) 
<laughs> showing you a little demonstration in the background. Yeah, but she's just a sweet, wonderful little dog. And of course, I want her to bark when there's something outside. I, I want to keep that watchdog element, but I don't want her barking when, there, when it's not the right time to bark. So, uh, neuroplasticity is the notion that we can heal. And one of the ways that we do that in our program and our work with, with soldiers is the alternation of opposite states. So, for example, big movement and then stillness and big movement and then stillness. And it might be three minutes of movement. It's not just like a five seconds, but just to give you an example, we're alternating between peace and excitement, between peace and, you know, these different states, stimulation and relaxation, movement and stillness. We take opposites. Um, ridiculous silly laughter and thoughtfulness we're we're alternating and what this does is it restores the the ability of the brain to change and heal it restores the neuroplasticity so the alternation of opposites is a very powerful thing and so even i mean even in our body the breath the inhale is the opposite of the exhale we need both right so it's the unity of opposites that creates change this is my theory you know i i'm not a scientist but this is what i've observed and this is what i see in animals helping animals heal and this is what i see helping people heal also no this you're right on track so um there's a gentleman who was a physician dr david hawkins um and he used to talk about the law of opposites oh did he right how we we would not be able to recognize let's keep it simple light without dark right right soft without hard wet right. without dry right so there's these states that would not be recognizable if you didn't have an understanding or appreciation of the opposite state mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so it's fascinating yeah, it really is the power of opposites, you know, and, and we teach the kids this, you know, okay, put joy in your hand, put fear in your hand, in the other hand, you know, and feel one, feel the other, now switch them, you know, or collapse them. That's kind of an NLP version of it is to collapse it, you bring them together. So it's, it's a very powerful thing to take opposite experiences. You have to really feel one and then you have to really feel the other and then you bring them together. And so, it's a very exciting thing and it's the same thing with dogs you know let them play and run really hard and then they love to relax you know and when we see them in the play yard shelter groups that have um uh, play groups you'll see the dogs will do this naturally they'll play like crazy and at a certain point they'll just go and lay down whatever that point is and for some dogs that's after a minute for some it's after 20 minutes whatever it is it's different for every dog's energy but when they can make those choices that is what helps them heal so when they're in a kennel, they can't make those choices. But when they have the freedom in a play yard, they can play like crazy, run, 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 tumble, 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 wrestle, 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 let's relax. <laughs> so if we look at that, we look at animals, we see them doing that. That's that natural process of really doing one thing completely and then doing its opposite completely. That's very healthy. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, I do the same thing. I run around the yard like crazy. Then I just lay down. <laughs> It's a very good thing to do. So tell me about Buff. So Buff was a shelter dog, terrible name, as often happens in shelters. Uh, doesn't help a dog if they have the wrong name. But anyway, so he was this like very scared dog. Um, I met him in a play group. I was observing a play group and he was just cowering literally in the in the in the triangle corner of the fence and all the other dogs were playing and wrestling and wild and he was just terrified and so i couldn't touch him because i was on the other side of the fence but i was also on the opposite side 
And I just began doing my energy work, human-animal connection, healing energy work with him, just to see if it would help. And after about 20 minutes, he recognized that I was doing something and he wanted it. And he braved, he had to make a diagonal all the way across the fit, all the way across the yard to get to me, you know, braving these other dogs. And they all tried to mount him and, oh, yeah, you're here, you're here, you want to play now, you want to play now, blah, 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 you know. Um, but he braved all of that to get to me and laid against the fence. So, I, I could, I had the fence between us, but um, just for, he made contact, you know, with my hand and um, he was a dog that couldn't be touched. He couldn't make eye contact. And, but he clearly chose me as somebody who could help him. And so, I realized I needed to help him. And I began working with him and teaching him the way that we have a way of teaching them how to be comfortable with eye contact because not all dogs are comfortable with it. It's a, a primal thing. It can be too aggressive. If a dog's lived at home with people, they can get very comfortable because they learn that, oh, I look at you and you smile or you love me or you give me a treat or something, you know, <laughs> but dogs that haven't had that, like Buff, uh, just didn't know nothing about it, didn't want it. And short version is because I worked with him over several weeks. I finally began like taking, they let you take the dog out for an ice cream. So, I would take him out and go get an ice cream and just different little adventures. And then, you know, taking him to Petco and he was scared of the wishing doors. He was scared of everything, you know, the sounds of cars, he would just cower, but he loved these little outings. And finally, I started taking him home for a little while and, you know, <laughs> um, got to the point where he got so comfortable with eye contact and so comfortable with touch that he was my demonstration dog at the shelter when I teach a class called Soothing Touch for Dogs. He was up on the table with Sophia and just loving it and letting everyone touch him and just loved it. And I was within an inch of adopting him at the time, um, but my I, my landlord wouldn't let me have two dogs. I, I, Sophia is a service dog, so she can't say no, but um, she wouldn't let me have another one. So, I had to take him back to the shelter, but that day he got adopted, the day I took him back. So, yeah, I miss him still, but it's such a sweetie. Yeah. Well, sad for you and happy for them, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, what is repuppying? So this is one of my theories in the human-animal connection is the idea that sometimes dogs don't get what they need developmentally as puppies, either because they were taken away too soon from the, the mother and, and their puppy, their litter mates, or the mother didn't give them everything they needed, or it wasn't a safe environment, or different reasons that they could have, you know, early life trauma. They got scared too early about something. Different things happen. Um, and uh, we had one dog in the shelter named Bolt who had bitten three shelter workers. So, you know what happens to dogs in shelters who bite people, <laughs> right? And he had been in an accident early in life and had spent, uh, I don't know, two months or three months in the shelter in that early learning puppy stage where he, he was immobilized in a kennel, blah, blah, blah. And I just began working with him. And what I began working with is what I call repuppying. I replicate some of the experience that they have as puppies. And one of them is what we call static touch, where it's just you know how puppies will lay together in a, in a little pile on puddle, you know, like just they're getting a lot of touch contact. And then when they want, they can break it. They can, so again, the opposites, they have contact and then they go and play and come back and have some contact. And so we did these different methods that replicate some of the early comfort experiences that puppies would get from other puppies in the litter and from their mother. And I began doing this, which was very controversial in the shelter. I had to get permission to do it because it involved laying against, you know, laying close to this dog that they had was already considered a red dog, meaning you can't, you know, you have to have special permission to work with them. They were very scared of what I was doing, but I never felt scared. Um, he was such a sweetheart. I mean, he just turned right around and became such a little love bunny, and then he got adopted. Yay! 
That's awesome. I love repuppying. Yeah. You know, I Indigo had to learn how to dog again, right? Yes. Right. She, I think she was, you know, probably pulled from her litter really young and went through all the normal, you know, backyard this and never really got trained or um, showed how to be a dog by other dogs. Yeah. So when she was learning how to play, I'd get down on the floor with her and I would do down dog and slap mm-hmm. my hands here yeah. and do this, you know, and uh-huh. it was so funny at first. She, she's like, what are what you are doing? You doing? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Yeah. And then she got it and right. she could see other dogs do that. Like, cause I'll take her to the dog park. We don't go in, but right. I let her witness, right? I, yeah. I let her see what other dogs are doing and how they're behaving. Uh-huh. She sees this behavior and she's like, um, ah, and now she does it. Yes. Right. I don't have yes. to initiate it. It's and it, yeah. ma- it just makes me feel so good that she can she can initiate play now. That's wonderful. Yeah. Sophia did not play when I adopted her. She didn't play for a year. No mm-hmm. toys, nothing. You give her a toy, she'd look at it like it was nothing, you know. <laughs> but and dogs can teach each other things, but we can teach them too. I mean, dogs can teach faster and better than we can, but if there isn't another dog that knows how to teach or cares about teaching or is a balanced dog, then as humans, we can do these little interventions like you did. That's wonderful. Yeah. 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 Yay. Yay. Well, in our next chapter or next episode, we are going to talk about how you can rebuild a sense of safety. So for both humans and dogs, if if we have had our sense of safety um, messed with where we don't feel safe enough, um, then we can rebuild that. And that's what that's a, such an important first step because I can't begin to heal the dogs in the shelter until I can create a sense of safety, which then leads to creating a sense of trust. And then I can do all of my wonderful methods. But if I skip those two steps, it's like you said before, you can't just go barreling in thinking you're going to heal some dog or some other being. Yeah, I'm going to fix you. (laughs) No. So first we have to restore a sense of safety. Then we build trust. And then all these other wonderful methods that we're talking about will work. So I hope you'll join us for that. I'm excited for this. I have a theory and I'm I'm actually writing my next book right now. And I talk about how we all have the need to feel safe and loved. That's right. At the core of all of it. So I'm excited for this next one. Jeannie, thank you so much. Folks, we'll, we'll see you soon. Aloha. Aloha for now. Thank you for tuning into the Human Animal Connection Show. Please visit our website, thehumananimalconnection.org. There you can sign up for our free email newsletter, book a consultation, or check out our blogs and resources. Our best-selling book, The Human Animal Connection, is available on Amazon. And your donation of any amount keeps our nonprofit organization providing life-changing services. You can reach Michael Overly, author of Let Your Dog Lead, Musings on How to Create an Exceptional Life, on his website at dogsandmen.com or email michael at dogsandmen.com. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.